Thank you for listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. We're currently going through a sermon series called I Am. For these next few weeks, Pastor Jordan will be looking to scripture to answer the question so many of us face, who is Jesus? For generations, people have been debating this question. Was he a good moral teacher? Was he a revolutionary? Was he a figment of history's imagination? Was he a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? John's Gospel records the identity of Jesus by examining his very words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Let's jump into John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is in our I Am series. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us this morning, welcome. Thank you for being here. But this is, uh, we're jumping right in the middle of our I Am series. We're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus, where Jesus says, I am who I am. Really, he connects himself when, uh, to the statement given to Moses there, Jesus of God's official name, the Yahweh, right? He says, I am who I am. Then we looked at, I am uh, the bread of life there after the feeding of the 5,000 in John. And then he says, I am the light of the world. Uh, and then he speaks about how he, we looked at last week, I am the door or I am the gate to the sheepfold in the beginning part of John chapter 10. Today we're gonna be looking at the second part of John chapter 10, which is I am the good shepherd. So last week and this week connect together though, uh, specifically because the shepherd pastoral kind of imagery is used here in John 10. So what we're gonna begin doing is by read John chapter 10 verse one. And we're gonna read through kind of what we preached on last week. We're gonna just continue on into the text that we have for this morning. Oh, and before I do, before I jump into that, I, I just wanted to make one quick announcement just on my own mentioning of this is just uh, Labor Day weekend. We're planning on having a baptism. Uh, there's several people already signed up to be baptized, but if you're considering or thinking that through um, in any way, any capacity, and you want to talk with me or Josh about that, we'd love to chat with you. Uh, but I just wanted to put that in front of you, uh, that on Labor Day weekend, on, on that Sunday, right after church, uh, we're going to have a service up there at Winnemac, right at the lake, and we're going to have a baptism there. And so it's a special time. For those of you who can please attend, if you can, and those of you who are considering baptism or the Spirit is pushing on your heart, that that's something, a step of obedience that you haven't walked through, or you want to learn more about that, please. I just wanted to make mention of that. I know we've said it several different times. It was just on my heart feeling as some, somebody maybe needs that little bit of a nudge. And so this is your nudge, okay? So that's uh, going on that weekend. So I'm excited about that coming up very quickly because September is coming very quickly. I know, we don't like talking about that. So let's jump in, John 10, verse one. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse five, the stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. The figure of speech that Jesus used with them uh, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Again, last week we 
We found comfort in that, right? That sometimes we don't always understand and we're thankful that Jesus re, uh, says it twice for us. So in verse seven, he reiterates his point. Verse seven, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, he says again in verse nine. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. And then verse 10, a very well-known verse, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And our main verse for today is verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing. You see that phrase? And cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I may bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Jesus often had that effect on people. Verse 20, many of them, he said, he has a demon, and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? He had just done that in the chapter previous to this. And then we'll keep reading just because I think a few of these verses provide helpful context to what happens after this. Verse 22, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter time, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ or the Messiah, tell us plainly. Right? Just put it to a straight, right? Tell us simply. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. For my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and a a striking statement he ends this with, I and the Father are one. And then right there, we won't read it, but verse 31 says, and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Quite quite the amazing statement, the the extraordinary statement, the statement of, of divinity that he displays to all of them. So with that in mind, let us pray. Father, we we think of these words that we have just read. We think of your statements and your claims, your authority that you can lay down your life and take it up again. Father, the resurrection presented to us, the power of your resurrection. 
the power of who you are to us, Father. I'm asking, God, that you would reveal that to us, not just so much that we read these words, but that there is a spiritual reality to us this morning. Not so much that we come and sit down in a seat, but, Father, that today there would be a spiritual transformation occurring within our hearts that we draw closer to you today. We draw further from our sin and from our flesh and we draw closer to who you are and who you are making us to be. Today, God, I pray that you would speak through your word, you would speak through your, this revealed word, this special revelation of scripture that teaches us about your power, your authority, your claims, the truth of who Jesus really is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My children, when we are at home, occasionally we'll, we'll play a game. Uh, sometimes around the dinner table, uh, we'll play kind of a version of 20 questions. I think I've actually shared this with you sometimes. We call the game, right, Char? We call the game, um, I have an animal in my head. Remember this game, right? Um, so we'll play the game, and Judson tries to play along sometimes, but he just makes noises. But right now, the girls and I uh, will play this game every now and then, 20 questions. See if you guys can guess the animal that's in my head. So you have to guess different things about it. And I was tempted in this illustration as I was thinking about it. I almost thought about playing the game with all of you. And then I'm like, I just don't trust some of you so much. So I'm, we're just going <laughs> to pretend that I have an animal in my head. All right? And you are supposed to guess the, what that animal is. And so if you were trying to guess the animal, right, Char and Tay, they would, they would be guessing different questions to try to narrow it down. And uh, one of the questions, you know, is the animal big? And I would say, well, no, not really. Um, is it fast? Like, well, no, it's not really known for being fast. Uh, is, is the animal big and strong, right? Is it a strong animal? And I'd say, well, not so much. Um, is it like really smart? Does it, can it speak like, you know, sometimes like a parrot, chimpanzee, some of those kind of things. No, no, it's not really known for being very smart. Does it, does it have big, sharp teeth, you know? Like it's a ferocious animal, right? No, not particularly. Uh, does it have cool stripes and spots and exotic? You're like, no, not at all. Does it climb trees? No, it can't even climb trees. Can it, can it fly? Does it have wings? You're like, no, no, we, and that's often helpful. You get it out of the bird category, get it to the mammal category. I have to try to, and then they're just guessing things, right? Um, but uh, does it fly? No. Uh, does it eat other animals? That's a good one. Is it a carnivore or herbivore? They kind of, does it eat other animals? And usually those are fun ones, right? And, well, no, this one doesn't eat other animals either. Does it, um, does it eat grass? Yes. All right. So now we're in there. You eat grass, and you might be thinking, well, it could be a cow, right? Like an animal, a horse, these kinds of things, right? And then by this time, they're usually guessing down, and they've narrowed it. And then sometimes, just occasionally, it'll jump back into like the elephant category or something just for fun or a whale, and you're like, I've already said that. But no, you would eventually get it to the point where you would guess, as today, you are probably all guessing it's a... Sheep, yes, some of you, there you go, good job. I heard a couple of you, and you're like, well, duh, I am the good shepherd. Okay, well, I just wanted to make sure we were all on the same page, right? But a sheep, they're, um, well, frankly, if I'm just being honest, and from this passage and others, they're not the most flattering of animals, right? They're not one of those animals that I wake up and think, I want to be a sheep. If I, if I could be any animal in the world, you know, I, I would, I'd pick a sheep. And I know my kids, they always know, when I'm growing up, my favorite animal. I always wanted to, I imagined myself I was this animal and I would run around being this animal and pretending that I was a cheetah, 
Remember that, right? Yeah, I tell you. Cheetah is always the coolest cat. I know it's one of the smaller ones, and they get bullied by hyenas and lions. At least I watch enough National Geographic to know that. But essentially, the cheetahs are so cool because they can run like 70 miles an hour, the fastest land animal, right? I think about that sometimes when I'm driving down the highway, that literally a cheetah could be running 60, 65, 70 mile an hour right next to you. That's incredible, right? Imagine if you could run like that. Yet the Bible does not call you and me cheetahs, right? It doesn't call us lions. <laughs> um, it, uh, it reflects, uh, it calls us in many, many different places. It calls us sheep. God calls us his flock. We read it this morning. Josh read it and Lars referred to it. Psalm 100. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, his flock. We are sheep. Sheep are known for being followers. Not really known for being all that bright. And I actually, last week we had talked about for many of these things that I talked with several of you who have sheep currently and or grew up on a farm that had sheep. And we talked about how so much of the ideas that Jesus talks about, how sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. They follow the shepherd wherever he goes. They do what he says. And yet that's a wonderful attribute. And yet they also jokingly talked about how sheep are silly creatures in many ways. Philip Keller writes in his book, a former shepherd himself, he writes a book about Psalm 23 where he gives insights from his experience as a shepherd and Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And he says this insight, he says, sheep can get themselves into situations that they can't get out of on their own. He says, a heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground, and then it might accidentally roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax, and suddenly, the center of gravity in its body shifts so that it flips over on its back far enough so the feet can no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw at the air frantically. Frequently, this only makes situations worse. It rolls over even further, and now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. And in this position, Gases can build up in the body of a sheep, cutting off the circulation to its legs, and often it can die in a matter of few hours before, uh, in a few hours, and lying there perfectly comfortable on its fluffy little back. <laughs> I, I find that fascinating to just have the picture of a sheep kind of stretching out and then flipping over on its back, and then it's doomed. All it takes for a sheep to be doomed is to be on its back, right? And so it's this picture of sheep and what they have. In the Bible, likens in Isaiah 53 that all we, like sheep, have gone astray, right? We have wandered, as the hymn would say, uh, we are prone to wander. Yet, what I find in this passage is not so much the winsomeness of humanity or the fact that I am a mighty cheetah or a lion deserving to be rescued and I can take care of myself. But the fact that I am likened to a sheep, a herd animal, a follower of sorts, a, an animal that is easily distracted, easily scared, extraordinarily vulnerable, has almost no defense mechanisms outside for the herd. A sheep that is helpless and hopeless in many ways. And yet, despite all of those things, we are revealed not only to who we are as sheep, but who our good shepherd is and the heart of Christ. 
But the heart of Christ is the heart of a good and loving shepherd who loves the sheep and desires to protect the sheep despite all of our misgivings, shortcomings, and failures, and you could say it many times, our own unlovableness, if that's a word. (laughs) Despite all of that, the Bible says that he leaves the 99 and goes after the one sheep who has wandered off. This is the heart of our good shepherd. That it, it describes to us, not one who is, who is flippant with the sheep and annoyed with the sheep, but one who has gone through great lengths to lay down his very life for the sheep. And I hope that that is going to be the takeaway that you have today. The takeaway that the heart of Christ is one that says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and goes after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he comes back and all of heaven is described as rejoicing because what was lost has now been found, that one sheep. Isaiah 40 describes to us the heart of a good shepherd. Isaiah 40, 11 says that this kind of shepherd will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the helpless little lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead those who are young. Isaiah 40, 11. What a tenderness, a compassion. He, he knows the sheep, the Bible says in John 10, and we know him. It says that he calls the sheep by name. Maybe as you as a farmer, you're familiar with it. You don't really name the animals you might eventually have to, you know, cl- right? You just kind of, you don't name those. You name the pets, you don't name. At least that's what I've heard farmers say. Jesus, in a sense, is naming every single one of you. And he knows your name, and he calls you by name. You understand his voice in a relationship in such a way that you respond to his voice and you follow the voice of not a dictator demanding, but a loving good shepherd who leads you gently and directs you and protects you, becomes the very door of the sheepfold for you. And today I just, I want us to focus on that aspect today. There are many things in this series that we've been learning. Who really Jesus is? Like who is Jesus? That's probably one of the most important questions you could ever ask in your entire life. Who is Jesus? And today we're, again, honing in on one aspect of who Jesus says he is. In his own words, Jesus is on the door. Then he says, I am the shepherd. But I love, and we're going to look at it in a moment, that he doesn't just say, I'm a shepherd. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And so that's what we've been looking at, this, this idea of the good shepherd. What we're going to do here is... Look at this contrasting element that Jesus provides for you. He says, there's a good shepherd over here, and then he describes how there is a bad shepherd, or there's a hired hand, as it's described. So he says, I'm a good shepherd. In previous verse, he says in verse 9 through 10, I am the door. And remember last week, we looked at two sheepfolds. If you weren't here, you can find it online and listen to it, but we looked at the two sheepfolds that he describes. The first sheepfold, the shepherd comes and says, come out of the sheepfold. He calls you by name. You listen to his voice. You come out of that little stone structure with a gate because there's a gatekeeper. The second sheepfold, he says, come in and I will be your door. In fact, I felt kind of silly last week. I went home after the service and I said, "Hun," I told my wife, I don't even know if I explained to them that Jesus is the actual door of that sheepfold because in that time, there would often be these circular structures where there was no gate. 
but the shepherd would lie down in the front of the gate. So I'm not sure if I even said that last week, but this week I did. So um, this idea where the, the shepherd would literally sleep in front of the gate and become the literal gate because there often wasn't a gate in those kind of structures that are out in the wilderness in these places where the sheep would gather into a sheepfold for the night. So the shepherd, when he says, I am the door, he's literally saying, you go in and out through me and you will find pasture. And so it's a beautiful metaphor that Jesus uses to describe himself. Yes, as the bread of life, light of the world, living water and sorts in many different places, but now a door and a gate whereby you will find safety and protection as you come in and through me. And then not only that, when you leave that little sheepfold, you are not just sent out on your own, but I am going with you, for I am the good shepherd who will guide you, protect you, lead you to pasture, and you can graze and have your fill, and you will be satisfied by green pastures and still waters. Even as Psalm 23, you will go through valleys of the shadow of death, and yet you will have to fear no evil, for the Lord is your shepherd. And I think this is a beautiful description of what Jesus says he is, that I am the good shepherd. But then immediately, he contrasts it. Many of you would be familiar. Okay, what would I want in a shepherd? If I was a sheep, this is the good shepherd. Well, what would I not want? Well, here's what he gives you. He, he gives you a little bit of an example, right? Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and runs away, flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So this is the contrast that he gives. I think it's not too difficult to understand. I mean, you can even think in regards to a variety of other um, occupations. If you want someone to build you a house, to construct to you a good house, you are not going to hire me, right? Many of you, I'm looking at you, I would hire you because you are good at that. You are good at construction. If I need someone to fix my computer, there are some of you in this room I would not go to to fix my computer, right? You're not good at that. I would not trust you in fixing those things. And yet some of you, I would go directly to you. I'd text, I have this problem. Can you help me with this, right? Some of you are good at or you have had experiences with good mechanics in your cars, right? and then a bad mechanic who takes advantage of you because you don't know what's going on. I'm right there included. And yet there's some of you in here, and I won't name them, who are good mechanics, who I trust with my life and my car and all of these things, right? You would trust. There are people that you look to that are good and honest, and they have your best interests. Some of you run businesses, and you know what it's like to have a business that operates in such a way. You have maybe put your blood, sweat, and tears, you have invested your own life savings to start this business, to get it off of the ground. You're willing to, in some sense, die for that business's success. But when you hire an employee to do a certain job, there is no expectation upon them that they are going to give of their lives to this business. They don't have the same skin in the game as you do, right? You know what it's like to care and think and consider the needs that that business has and all the details that go into it, but there is a big difference between a a founder of the business who is invested in it and a hired hand who shows up for a paycheck. Many of you, even though know what it's like to show up for a paycheck and then to show up because you care about doing a good job, there's even a difference there. 
So Jesus is describing to us the difference between a hired hand or a bad shepherd and the difference between a good shepherd. There is a big, big difference. And I think it's so important to consider this is that Jesus is not as some deists had said in the past, a clockmaker that starts the world and he winds the clock and he backs off and has no interest for the world just will exist and it will exist as it is. But rather, that there is someone who is invested in the life of the sheep. He cares about their well-being. He is not a mercenary who has been paid off to do a job to fight in a war, but rather someone, you could say, who is defending their very livelihood, who is protecting their country on behalf of the family that is behind them. They are protecting their household. They will lay down their life for the family that is in that house. They're not just some hired mercenary who's there and runs when the danger and the fighting gets too tough. There's someone who is invested in your life and your livelihood. There is someone, Jesus is saying, who will stick by the sheep. And there is someone who will turn and run when the going gets tough. The question is, can you discern between the two? Now notice, Jesus doesn't just say, look, life is gonna be rosy all the time. He says, there is danger. Even in the great Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What about if I walk through the valley? No, no, when you walk through the valley of death. You don't have to fear any evil. The Lord is your shepherd. He is with you, right? This idea, his rod and his staff, he will comfort you with them. Here, the wolf is at the door. You've heard that phrase? <laughs> the wolf is at the door. Jesus doesn't say, hey, maybe if a wolf comes by. No, no, no. When a wolf comes by, you want a good shepherd protecting you, not a hired hand. You want someone who, who loves you, not someone who just there to do a job. Not just there so they don't get in trouble, or when trouble comes, that they uh, seek really, in some ways, I guess I could say, the picture of someone who has this, their skin in the game. The, you can think of it even this way, the wolf in sheep's clothing, we talked about this last week, this uh, Matthew seven fifteen. beware of false prophets, it says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Acts 21, 28, this passage which speaks at length about this is as Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, he's about to leave on a boat and leave and he go to Jerusalem and he teaches the Ephesian elders and he's saying, hey, elders of the church of Ephesus, he says in verse 28 of Acts 21, pay careful attention to yourselves and notice his wording, he says, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders or to care for the church of God or to literally pastor the church of God, uh, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus laid down his life for this church, so you better take care of it. Verse 29, and what does he say? I know that after my departure, it's gonna be easier. You're not gonna face any trouble, just relax, man. Is that what he says? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples from them, get them away from the sheep bull, draw them away from the pastors and elders and ultimately the good shepherd and follow them. Verse 31, therefore, he's saying, don't fall asleep. Be alert, seize night or day, seize not night or day to admonish everyone with tears, as I have done for you, he says, and he goes on. 
And so this idea that he speaks into and he uses that same imagery that Jesus says, do not be careful to take care of the flock for fierce wolves will come in to try to divide the flock to seek as we looked at last week, this thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus, the good shepherd, leaves us, leads us to an abundant life. The hired hand runs when the thief comes. He's got no skin in the game because he wants to save his own skin. Is that a good way of thinking of it? <laughs> he doesn't have any skin in the game, no reason to stay there. He wants to save his own skin, so he's out of here. He, in the Bible, I love it, there's the simplicity. It says he cares nothing for the sheep. He cares about himself. Jesus, the good shepherd, cares everything for the sheep. He is willing to literally give his own life for the sheep. I don't really have time today, but even in, in the aspect of Ephesians 5, in the topic of marriage, is that we did a wedding yesterday, just the, the topic of marriage, it, it literally gives this for husbands specifically. Jesus loved us, Ephesians 5.1, imitate him and the love of God, for he laid down his life as a fragrant offering for mankind. You husbands are to love your wife and to lay down your life for her just like Christ laid down his life for the church. It's a, it's a similar wording, similar statement, similar statement of a shepherd who is willing to lay down his life, uh, like a David who is willing to take on a lion and a bear and Goliath to protect the ones he loves, this idea. And so I just, before we move on, I just, there is so much in the scripture about this that I could not you know, push through it too quickly. There's a chapter in um, Ezekiel 34 Ezekiel's maybe not a, chap, a book you turn to all the time. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive major prophet. There is so much in there. But Ezekiel 34 is a fascinating uh, chapter as it is a warning that God is speaking through Ezekiel to the people, to the shepherds of Israel, he says. You could say to the elders or the leaders of the flock. And he is telling them, he is in a very, as I say in a preacher, right? As I wag my finger. Remember we talked about that last week? He is literally wagging his finger at them in a way that is like, this is what I'm gonna do to the bad shepherds among you. You good shepherds need to step up. And in fact, you're not stepping up, so I will be their shepherd, God is telling us. And it is, it has messianic uh, statements of prophecy in this where there are statements alluding to The Lord says he will be our good shepherd. There will be one shepherd over us. And we look forward to a day when that comes true. And so way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, you look at verse 30, uh, chapter 34. If you have your Bible in front of you, you could just kind of peruse through. I might just pick and choose. Booth, you probably don't want to follow me on this one. I don't know if you're going to be able to do that. Uh, But Ezekiel 34, it says in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. You see that? You shepherds who have been feeding yourselves, should not you be shepherds who feed the sheep? Verse three, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. What a condemnation. 
for leadership in general, specifically though as I speak to myself as a pastor elder of this church, elders among us as well, are we pastoring in such a way that we seek to fill our own pockets before we seek to feed the church? Wow. And the shepherds, it goes on, it says the shepherds have fed themselves, they have not fed the sheep. Therefore, he says, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. God says this, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. Then he goes on and he says in verse 11, I will search out from my sheep and I will seek them out, God says. He says, I will feed them with good pasture. He says in verse 15, I myself, I love this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares God. Verse 16, I will seek the lost and I will bring them back. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy those who have sought to feed themselves. I will feed them in justice. He goes on, verse 22, I will rescue my flock. He goes on, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, who shall feed them and one in illusion, which is like David, this Messiah-like one who would come. And then I will give them peace. I will remove the beasts from the land. I will shower them with blessing. There will be trees and fields that will yield fruit for them. I will provide for them. And then the very last verse of Ezekiel 34, and God declares this, he says, of the intimacy in this passage. God says, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. There's a a beautiful covering and protection for his people and for his flock. The striking contrast between a, a wolf, a thief that comes in to steal, a hired hand who runs to save his own skin, and a good shepherd who seeks to bring the sheep in in one flock to be their good shepherd, to feed them and give them what they need, provide what they have. A bad shepherd leaves the flock and is scattered, leaves them often bleeding, separated, alone, fearful, and dying. But Jesus is a good shepherd, unites the flock, brings them together, unites the lost, brings them in the fold, he binds up their wounds, and he carries those who cannot carry themselves. This is that picture we see back in John. John 10, verses 15 through 17, where the scripture tells us that Jesus is saying, I I have one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. This is the idea of the united church of God, this universal church that is meeting today on Sunday all over the globe. We often talk about this as I try to often direct our attention outside of New Hampshire I know it seems like New Hampshire is the center of the world, and rightly so. But sometimes there are many things going on outside of New Hampshire, is it not? And we are forgetting that there are people in South America and Africa and Asia and Europe and all over the world that are worshiping God in all tribes, languages, and tongues, as it says in Revelation. Ephesians 4 also reminds us of this truth, of the unity of the church. Where Ephesians 4 says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to the call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
First Peter 2 reminds us that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. God has made us into a holy nation, not holy nations, but a holy nation separated outside of any political boundary lines, any languages, any economic statuses, any passport, whatever it is, but rather we have been called to an own holy nation, a people for God's own possession, who are called from darkness into marvelous light. That is the one flock of God. And that is why for in 1 Peter 5, uh, Peter describes to the elders there that they are to pastor the church of God, to protect this one flock, exercise oversight over it, be an example Because there will be those who will come in and seek to divide and take, but rather love, pastor. It says shepherd, and then in verse uh, 4 of 1 Peter 5, and when it says the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. This is that chief shepherd. We often talk about it here at Hope that we are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. Shepherding the church of God. As Lars Traffy was saying earlier, as an elder, he was saying to steward the things that we have been given. To steward the church of God, you could say. To be good stewards what we have been given. So that when he returns, he finds us faithful servants and faithful stewards. As we are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. And then I want you to look at this phrase right here. Look at verse uh, uh, 16. He's gone on saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Then verse 16, and then he says this curious phrase. He says, I I have other sheep. I really like this phrase. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. What is he describing? What is he talking about? I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. His goal is to unite the church under one banner. The banner of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he says this phrase to begin with, I have other sheep. Well, in particular, he's speaking to a Jewish congregation at this time. As we talked about, even that first sheepfold has uh, leanings towards potentially a calling out of Judaism and into Christianity, this sense. And so in that time period, he's saying, look, I am speaking to you in this time period, in this context. I'm speaking to many of you who are coming from a Jewish background, but I have other sheep that I, you, you don't even see right now. I have other sheep, and I can only imagine that in some way, some shape or form, Jesus is talking about me. <laughs> you ever think about that? I have other sheep that I'm not speaking to right now. But 2,000 years from now, there will be this little church out there in Jaffrey, New Hampshire in the boonies who's going to be reading these words and will likewise call me their good shepherd. <laughs> I have other sheep who, who you don't know by name, but I know them by name. I have other sheep from all over the globe and all other time periods and cultures that I am drawing to myself, who I am saving, who I am their savior who in many ways, as Jesus would describe to us, and as Paul describes to us in Romans, that these people will be grafted into the tree. I know this is getting heavy for the end of the sermon here, but this idea that we are grafting the Gentiles and the Jews together into one tree of salvation that will bear fruit, uh, as in, the, the, in Revelation, a, tr- a, free, a, a, a tree that bears fruit that is healing to the nations. But this picture of the grafting in of a varieties together into one tree. 
Romans 11 speaks about that, that if there is some branches that are broken off, and you, Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share. We share together in the nourishing root of the olive tree. How thankful are we that we do not have to participate in the Old Testament law and follow the customs of Judaism in order to be grafted in, but rather Jesus says, for you Gentiles and Jews, Greeks, all of you people, people from all over ethnicities, all over the globe, if you come to me for I am the door, you shall be saved as well. I, I think of my neighbor who had this pear tree recently. They've been planting fruit trees all over their beautiful um, property there in Dublin. And, and they've been p- planting trees and fruit trees. And fruit trees are, are rather fragile, especially here in New England for our growing time. It's not very long. But to plant them, it's, it can be quite fragile. That The first couple months of planting that tree is, is really vital to make sure that tree is strong enough to handle a winter that comes up. And so they had planted this tree and then she was telling us about this beautiful pear tree that they had gotten that had uh, a variety. I think it had three or four varieties of pears all grafted into one pear tree. It was, a, it was almost like a work of art. They had these supporting systems for one branch which was grafted into the central root and then a uh, kind of the stalk there and then another variety of the, on the side and another variety out this side that was all grafted in. And one of the first weeks she had planted this, it was a few weeks ago, she, we come up to her the other day and she's furious. She's looking at the tree and there's bite marks all over the tree. There's broken branches on the ground. There's pears littered all over the place with little half-eaten marks out of it. And you know what it was? Some of you are really familiar. It was a porcupine. <laughs> A porcupine had come in the middle of the night, waddled its little body or big body and climbed up that pear tree and just cared nothing for the pear tree. In fact, just took one bite out of every single pear. Didn't finish a pear and throw it away nicely, but just chose to bite every pear individually just so that she knew that he was around, right? And I don't know if I have time, but we... Essentially, um, she was furious with this and her desire and her love for all of God's creatures has immediately changed into the farmer mentality of let me get rid of this, this pest as soon as I can, right? You know? And so um, one night she called me because uh, her husband was away and Jamie and I were home and she says, you know, essentially, Jordan, get up here, he's back, right? And the porcupine was waddling up at dusk and I grabbed my father's shotgun, okay? And I start in a very like manly way, right? Trying to find the shells, find the shotgun. I think it works, haven't shot it in like 10 years. And so I'm running up the hill to my neighbor's house to protect her pear tree. And I feel very manly about this situation. And that porcupine is coming up the hill and she's like, it's over there. And we're all like Elmer Fudd kind of situation. And I come and it's right there. And porcupine, you have to be careful. Porcupines are fast, right? Extremely fast. They throw their quills. Okay, no, they don't do any of those things. But it's right there and I take the shotgun, I cock it and I click and it jammed. (laughs) And it's literally like me to the first row. It's right there, click, click. I'm like, no. So then I'm cocking and I'm trying to th- and then I realized the spring that loads the shells had been had broken and it's it's not jamming so and then I'm uh, you know I'm feeling terrible and then the porcupine looks at me and it's kind of like what the rip and it just runs away and so I'm kind of running down the hill trying to load another shell and eventually I get a shot off and it's just into the woods and the thing escapes again porcupine are much faster than you think but um 
this whole idea is just, just, I hope it sticks in your mind. This is, is I totally defeated the whole sermon here. Um, the idea of this, this, this tree, this beautiful pear tree that has been protected, that is this beautiful fruit-giving tree, yet there are things, there are wolves, there are porcupines who will come in and seek to destroy that. And yet a good shepherd or a good farmer seeks to protect those things. And believe me, I am not a good farmer. Do not hire me for these situations, okay? There are many of you far better than that, and I fully admit that, right? But what I love is, is the heart of this shepherd, the heart of this farmer, you could say. The heart of all of this is ultimately rooted in our final point for today. It is rooted in the fact that this good shepherd not only is going to protect his little pear tree, he is willing to give his entire life for it. It is self-sacrificial love. It is a love that is greater and above any other love. We know what that, some of you resonate with that. But even if I were to say you as a husband, say you as a father, what would you do to protect your home and your children if you knew an intruder was coming in to try to harm your family? What would you do to protect your house? Would you lay down your life? Every one of you men are saying, absolutely. Some of you, even to protect our own nation, have gone to foreign lands to, in some ways, lay down your life in protection of that. Mothers, what would you do if your child was playing in the road and you saw an oncoming vehicle? You would just say, well, that was that child's mistake. It's just up on its own. No, you would dive in front of that child, pushing that child in order to sacrifice yourself. You would do whatever you could to rescue your children, to protect your loved ones. This is what the Bible is speaking out to us from Jesus' own words, that this is his heart for the church. He loves you dearly. He is not just a shepherd or a hired hand that gets us out of a trouble here and there. He is one who has a deep-hearted love for you. He knows your name. He calls your name. He draws you into his sheepfold. He leads you, and then by vicarious sacrifice, he goes to a cross to represent something you deserve, something that is God's wrath upon you. He takes it for himself. A vicarious sacrifice is one who substitutes his life on behalf of someone else. He substitutes himself for you. For Jesus, as he describes to us in John 10 here at the end, he says, I am not a victim. Look at this. He says, as I come to this cross, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Our good shepherd is fully capable. He is no victim. He willingly set aside his, as Ephesians would describe to us in Philippians, he set aside what he deserved in order to humble himself and take on the form of a human, the form of a servant, to take his life and lay it down on a cross. For the Son of Man came not to be served, he came to serve. And what did he come to do? To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus has come. To display to the world the love of God. As John describes to us the great sacrifice. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as he knows the father and I know the father. That I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes this life from me. I lay it down on my accord. Why? Because I have authority to take up again. The father loves me and I love the sheep. This is my love that is displayed for them. And as he says later on in John 15, 
Later on in these next couple of chapters, we'll get to this to come, but it fits so well here. There, where, where John describes to us this kind of love. How do you describe this kind of love? He says, greater love is no one than this. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you know, in that same chapter, Jesus describes us, he says, and you are my friends. And he says, I have called you my friends. To consider just for a brief moment that the magnitude of God and his greatness and power to speak the world into existence would know your name and call you a friend? This is why we speak of the gospel as almost to be, have in some sense a scandalous nature to it. It doesn't seem right that me as a little sheep <laughs> who can flop over on its back and not even rescue himself, that God of the universe would take on my sheepness, <laughs> my human form, come to rescue, save, redeem, and all of these things come to save the world. And in a moment, we're going to close with the goodness of God song that speaks so much to me in this sense for so much of the truth that we speak about, the good shepherd, the goodness of God. Because Jesus laid down his life, he will take it up again, this resurrection power where it says in the goodness of God, the very first verse is, I love your voice. <laughs> You've led me through the fire, through the valley of the shadow of death. In the darkest of night, one of these verses says, in the darkest of night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, yet I've known you as a friend. He calls us friends lived in the goodness of God, and then it says, your goodness is running after me. Your goodness is running after me. That is a paraphrase of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know how Psalm 23 ends? And your mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. When you are found content in who God is, when you find yourself in that place, you find that your goodness is running after me. It is running after us all. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is my shepherd, not a shepherd, but the good shepherd. He knows me, cares me, and he lays down his life for you. Come to Jesus today, and you can have that same kind of victory and peace and contentment and satisfaction that you will find in no place else. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you today asking God that you would speak to us today, bring this reality to our hearts today. What we sing about, what we pray to you about, what we read from your scripture, God, that it would be true. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. We thank God in many ways that there are so much in our lives that we wish maybe we're different. Yet, Lord, when we come to you, you take that all away. And I pray today that there's someone here who doesn't know you, doesn't have this kind of peace, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Today, they would come into your presence and they would truly and personally know the goodness of God. Thank you, God, for your good to us. Thank you for being our good shepherd. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise today. In Jesus' name.